0: amen. Please be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, the verses are listed there on the back of your outline. We've come to the final chapter, Ruth 4, of this great narrative display of God's providence. The story of Ruth is really wrapped with uh, intrigue, anxious wondering, dramatic pauses, various kinds of tensions Probably a host of other features that make this a magnificent human drama for sure. In fact, I know it's a classic because personally I've probably read from beginning to end at least 30 different times in my life and then portions of it more than that. And every time, even though I know what's coming next and probably most of you know what's coming next, you still can't wait to pick the book up and read what's coming next. That's a classic love story. But more than that, it's not just a human drama. It's one that all the while you know God's sovereign hand is behind it. And it sort of puts in perspective our own human dealings. Those little minute things that you think uh, don't concern God, we actually come to find out, even down to the scheming of two ladies about how to get a guy for, to be their husband. That's under God's sovereign providential control. That's really the bigger message of this great book with all the other sub-messages that are there. You remember we left off in chapter 3 with Naomi hearing the report from Ruth. Ruth had gone and in essence proposed to Boaz. But Boaz had some legal requirements in order to take Ruth as his wife. There was a redeemer before him that had legal right to marry Ruth. And so Boaz had to take care of that. And Naomi, this wise woman, says, don't worry about it. He's going to take care of it today. She knew. She understood. And so we begin chapter 4. Hear now God's word in the book of Ruth. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead. In order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kileon and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this Native place, his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez." whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. And Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for the details of this story as well as the big picture of this story, the line of Messiah, preserved by your covenant commitment. Yet it is done through the smallest of human interactions, the anxieties, the tensions, all the things that fill this true narrative. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, draw from us the various principles and meanings that we can apply to our life as we see people who are re- rightly related to you, moving in your domin- under your dominion, under your care. But Lord, more particularly, I pray that you would teach each of us how that, while the road is winding on the way to our ultimate redemption, we will get there, because you are providentially, sovereignly in control. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. Each chapter of the book of Ruth really has unfolded more dynamics of a uh, beautiful human drama, Let's recap just briefly. If you can remember back at how the chapter, uh, the book started in chapter 1, really it couldn't have been any worse. In fact, I think second only to Job is Naomi. As Naomi moves from Israel, her homeland, with her family. And she has to move because they're in the midst of a famine. And she goes with her husband Elimelech and her two sons, and they move to Moab, a sworn enemy of the Israelites. But there's no choice. They've got to eat. And so as they go... Uh, We are told very quickly in the text, but powerfully, when you think of the human tragedy that's involved, shortly after getting there, Naomi loses her husband. So now she's a widow in a foreign land with two sons who have no wives themselves. They then take Moabite wives, which on the surface seems, well, of course, they live in Moab now, but in the heart of the true professing Israelite, this would be difficult because the chances now of those sons ever going back to Israel when the famine lifts are slimmer and slimmer as they marry into Moabite tradition and custom. So now she's there with her two sons who are married to Moabite women. She's a widow, longing to go back to Israel, not in the way that she had, she had to go back. So there's this time elapses and not much time, ten years of a marriage, no children to these ladies, and now both sons die. So here's Naomi at the end of chapter 1, with no husband and two daughters-in-laws, that are Moabite women with no sons or no daughters. It would, could hardly be worse. She had nothing else to do but to go back to Israel and try to find some relative to take pity on her. We end chapter 1, though, with an interesting twist. It's an Old Testament profession of faith in the God of Israel when Ruth says, I'm coming with you. She says, don't don't come with me, Naomi says. Go back to your gods, back to your people. And Ruth stops her and says, no. I am covenantally, essentially, committed. Your God will be my God. I will go where you go. She's basically making a profession of, the, of faith in the true God. So Naomi stops the argument and they go, and they go to Israel. And we come to chapter 2, and when they get to cha- we get into chapter 2, you have these two women, these two widows with no children, trying to find a way to sustain themselves. And as God's providence would have it, It's during the harvest time of wheat and barley, which lasts several weeks. There's a provision in God's law that allows them to glean from the field some of the leftover or that which is purposely left for the purpose of providing for the poor and widows. So Ruth goes ahead into a field owned by known relatives of Naomi and Elimelech, and she gleans and gains food there. On the first day, though, by God's providence, this older man, Boaz, takes interest in Ruth. He has already heard the story of Ruth, In the amazing story of her leaving Moab to come into Israel with her mother-in-law, who had been widowed. And he known the story, and he meets her face-to-face as the servants explain to Boaz who she is and how hard she was working. And they strike up a discussion and a conversation. They happened to be in that field together that day. And something began there. Intrigue began for sure between the two of them. And Boaz gives her a gift of grain. She brings the gift of grain back. And Naomi sees this and says, Boaz, did you say? She looks in her day planner. He's one of our relatives. In fact, he could be a redeemer of ours. Chapter 3 begins, maybe 3,000 years old, Chapter 3. But right now, somewhere, the same kind of thing is happening. Two women are talking together about how to find out what that guy's thinking. And even more so, to let him know of their availability. So that's the plan that is unhatched, that she would go to the threshing floor where Boaz now was at the end of the harvest several weeks after they had first met, and Ruth would go there and find Boaz, and as the custom was, the different owners of the grain would take all their crops, they would thresh them out on the threshing floor and make a big pile of their own grain, which they would eventually sell or store themselves, but in those days they were very careful uh, to not leave what they owned and work so hard for, so they would literally sleep near their pile of grain. And so there's Boaz after he had eaten and had drunk he had sat or laid down and as the plan went she was going to go curl up at his feet and just lay there and that's exactly what she did to perfection and when he wakes up startled at this young woman she immediately says to him in so many words will you marry me she says will you put your wings over me you are a redeemer simply meaning you can marry me and you could tell that Boaz had at least thought of this because immediately they start discussing how that could be possible. And they lay there the whole night innocently, wondering no doubt about whether it would be legally possible. Boaz knew, he had already done some math in his mind, that he was not first in line to redeem Ruth. He knew there was another person who was actually the rightful Redeemer. And so in his mind, on the one hand, obviously this woman wants to marry me, and the great joy and elation that comes from knowing someone loves you. The other hand, There's these human obstacles. Will we be able to overcome them? Now, please note, Boaz could have done any number of things. He could have ran off with Ruth. He could have violated her without actually marrying her. I mean, that was not uncommon in those days among those people. But him showing a right relationship with God and God's Redeemer manifests itself in his life and how he acts. And he knows he has to do it right. He has to do it through the civil authorities that God has ordained. And so that's where we pick up chapter 4. But my favorite part of chapter 3 is just the last verse. When this wise Naomi hears the story from Ruth, and you could just see her thinking to herself, yes, he said that? He, what, what else? He said that to? Trust me, sit tight. He won't let this rest. He'll get it taken care of today. And that's exactly, exactly what happens. What I'd like us to remember, though, as we go into the details of this last chapter, is this greater lesson we've been learning, that Simply put, providential twists and turns are part of every believer's life, your life included. Twists and turns in the life that we all live. But it's still going to find itself ultimately in God's redemption because of Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. Twists and turns are part of the road, brothers and sisters. But ultimately, we get there. John Piper, in preaching on this book, says this about the greater message of Ruth. He says, the life of the godly is not an interstate through Nebraska, but a state road through the Blue, Ve- Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. There are rock slides and precipices and dark mists and bears and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backwards in order to go forwards, but all along this hazardous twisted road that doesn't let you see very far ahead, there are frequent signs that say the best is yet to come. And at the bottom right-hand corner, written with an unmistakable hand, are the words, As I live, says the Lord. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. The book of Ruth teaches us this, as we see this wonderful lesson in God's providence. Let's look at the first six verses as we see now Ruth being pursued by Boaz. I think it's okay for a woman to say, I'm available, but it's important at that moment If the man agrees that he should lead, and that's what he does. He pursues Ruth. We see this in the first six verses. Ruth proposes to him. Naomi predicts he won't take long to take care of the matter. And so in his going to the town gate, he is essentially pursuing Ruth to make this happen. Look at verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by, and Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now we can assume that Ruth went home to Naomi, and then Boaz went to the town. The text says the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. I think it's safe to surmise that Boaz knew where to find this guy. He had already been thinking, where would this guy be? Should I have to chat with him? And so he goes, now the town gate is a place where social, uh, the social activity and commerce happen, and you would come and go there if you worked outside of the city or had your business, so it's not totally pinpointed, but he knows it's very likely, based on his knowledge of this person, that he would come through this gate at this time in the morning. And so he makes sure, he is sure to be there, and so there he's standing, and this guy comes out, and he goes up to him, the guy's probably wondering, who is this, I haven't talked to this relative in a long time, why does he want to talk to me, why is he so anxious And look at the second part of verse 1 and verse 2 then. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Boaz was assembling a legal court to hear the case between him and the Redeemer, the rightful first-in-line Redeemer for Ruth. This is how civil cases were decided. No long, messy trial with huge lawyer's fees. Simple hearing of peers. And so those ten elders sat down, and now there's Boaz acting as his own lawyer, and there's the Redeemer, and he wants to say the case in front of the ten elders so they could decide if there should be any kind of disagreement, and if there is an agreement struck, that the ten witnesses would see it, and the deal would be sealed, and it would be legally binding. Boaz wanted to take no shortcuts. He wanted to be sure before all men that what he was doing was to pursue redemption of Ruth. Verse 3. Then he said to the, to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. This is the first time we've heard that Naomi actually owns some land. Now, it makes total sense why it hasn't been mentioned at this point. It really makes no difference if a, if a woman in those days owned land. In fact, the land probably was being farmed, but she had no real way in order to make people pay for using that land. She just didn't have those rights in that civil arrangement. And so it's most likely when Elimelech and Naomi and family left, they left land they own, they couldn't sell it, it was in the midst of a famine, it wasn't something people were going to buy, their intention was always to somehow come back, because that's where they owned land, they never could. So now that Naomi comes back, yes she has land, but what is she going to do with it? So she has land, Boaz knows this, and decides this will be the first thing he presents to this man. He's not being deceitful, he's telling the truth. But he's also setting himself up to be very clear about what it entails to redeem. It would not be uncommon in those days for people to redeem land and not people. The intention of the law was always to supply for people in the name and their inheritance. But it would be be very common to take land from one another if given the chance. So he wants to be very careful how he goes about this in this legal proceeding. He says in verse 3, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab and is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought that I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me in, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he gives this guy the first shot at redeeming. Doesn't tell him the whole story yet. He tells the truth, but not the whole truth yet. So the guy says immediately, I'll redeem it. Land, not, you know, land is as is, is valuable then as it ever was. I'll, I'll take it. Now Boaz closes his case. Verse 5, he says, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead, in his inheritance. Boaz means no disrespect to Ruth. He truly loves her. There's no question. On paper, however, taking a young foreign woman as your wife presented all sorts of problems. Besides the social stigma that would ensue, there would also be a financial burden. What if the young woman's family from Moab decides to relocate in Israel? You're responsible for them. There are all sorts of what-ifs in taking Ruth, as a wife. The land was one thing, but taking Ruth was another. The Redeemer responds in verse 6, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what it says, but that's what he was feeling. Well, Well, hold on, hold on a minute here. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. With all the risks there were for this man to redeem the land and then also acquire Ruth, he says, I can't do it. He could be simply saying, I have a wife, I have no desire to take another, lest there be contention in my own house, and then I should have all sorts of problems, and I might be a corrupter of my own inheritance if I do that. The complexities are too much. I can't do it in this stage of my life. There's no way I can possibly handle that. Boaz skillfully purs- pursues Ruth by going through the proper legal channels here to have his marriage recognized by the society. I want us to note just a couple things, though, as we, before we go further. Boaz's pursuit of Ruth is really moving on a couple levels. First of all, he is not afraid to stand up in the society that look down upon foreigners and say that I want her for my wife. He's willing to fight for his marriage to Ruth and doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Marriage is a blessing. Your mate is worth it. And I hope that we as believers don't ever do this, but I've been in workplaces before where husbands will talk in a very derogatory way about their wife, calling them all sorts of names and joking about how, that is not what God has for us in our, in, our, in our mates. We are to cherish them publicly and let the, everyone know that they are, this is my wife, and I am proud that she is my wife. And that's what Boaz does, is he stands up and says in front of all the elders, yeah, I know she's a Moabite. I know that story. I'm well aware of it. But I claim her. I want her. Second, I think it's also important that we note that he honors the civil law in making Ruth his wife. God grants the civil magistrate authority and we must honor it. I've heard people say before, well, we're not going to get married because we know we're married in our our hearts together. Okay, you're not married. Because God gives the civil magistrate the authority to pronounce marriage. And that's what Boaz does. He doesn't have to any more than anyone else has to. He could cohabitate with her. But he recognizes how important it is that he give honor to God's structure of authority, and the civil magistrate grants this authority, and he honors it, and so must we. Also now, note though, after we have had the pursuit of Ruth, we have now this wonderful climax to the story, as Ruth is redeemed now by Boaz, and given a son. It's clear the man will not exercise uh, his right to redeem, and look at verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a manner of attesting in Israel. Now this comes from Deuteronomy 25. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Deuteronomy 25 and how this gives great instructions towards this way of sealing a contract or sealing a decision, as it were. Deuteronomy 25, starting at verse 5, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, and his name may not be blotted out in Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife... Then the brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him back and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull off his sandal, the sandal off his foot and spit on his face. And she shall say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house and the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Now, in that context, with the first-generation situation between brothers, it was a terrible, terrible shame to not redeem. This is different with Boaz. These are more distant relatives, probably cousins or distant uncle, for all we know. We're not positive, and it could be several generations removed. It just was known who it was that was next in line, legally. So the reason why it's not so shameful when he passes the sandals, more or less to seal this as an official decision that the elders agree upon. And so it is that this sandal is given, and a sandal is a personal thing to a person. They're they're not only expensive, probably personally made, they're identifiable with the person, and this is given to him as as a, a token and a pledge that this agreement has been made, and now legally and officially, Boaz can take Ruth is his wife. Verse eight. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, "Buy it for yourself," he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders, "You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Mahlon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place." You are witnesses this day. Here we have Boaz's statement of redemption. I'm redeeming Ruth. You all acknowledge it. You see it. You know what's happened. No one will ever question this. It is sealed. Ruth, the childless Moabite widow who came to Israel with nothing, was now to be the wife of Boaz, a godly, wealthy, gracious redeemer. Notice the great witness this was to those who looked on. I think the response is because none of them would have done this. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephratah and be renowned in Bethlehem. <clears throat> Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of parents whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. You remember, these two instances are very important. Perez and also the the children of Rachel and Leah. Remember, both Rachel and Leah were unfortunate, in my opinion, uh, victims of their father and Jacob in the way that their father and Jacob played those poor girls off of each other. It had to be a terribly painful thing, what they went through. Yet, God, even through their sorrow, multiplied their offspring into the twelve tribes of Israel. Blessed them, even though they were in dire circumstances. The same is true of Perez, the son of Judah and Tamar. You remember, Tamar prostitute, Judah, seeks her out and has a baby through her. And the baby's Perez. And God blesses Perez to be in the line of Messiah. This is an amazing story of redemption in itself. And now here's this Moabite woman who's come into Israel, and they're pronouncing a blessing upon Boaz, saying, may God bless you for doing this. This person who's been through so much, and you take her, and may he, the Lord God, bless you. And notice the particulars of this blessing that they pronounce.